0: Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host, Gemma, and today I'm going to tell you a little bit about quail and why they might be a good addition to your home and your farm. First, I'd like to do a couple of homestead updates. Uh, I'd like to wish you all a very happy new year. I'm personally having a bit of a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that it's 2020, making me feel a little bit old, honestly. And I'm still in that phase where I keep writing 2019 as the year and then scribbling it out and quickly putting 20 in. Um, I have to admit, I'm definitely feeling my age a little bit because I have noticed that of the podcasts that I like to listen to, a lot of the podcasters are in their 20s. And (laughs) it's a little bit of a shock to remember that that's not my age group anymore and hasn't been for a good 10 plus years. But uh, anyway, um, I had a lovely gift miss, as I call it, with my in-laws in Florida. If you actually follow me on Instagram, you'll have seen pictures from a really relaxing birding and alligator spotting walk that I took in a nature preserve called Circle B. Um, I went out there with my father-in-law, my sister-in-law, who's who's the birder, and she has um, a great ability of spotting all the different Flor- uh, Floridian birds. So that was really really fun. And I also went with my husband and he sort of <laughs> scurried off because he's the, you know, he's the herpetologist, he's the reptile biologist. So he ran off as quickly as his legs would carry him to go look for alligators and snakes and things like that. And we had a really lovely um, couple of hours out there just wandering around. I put some pictures up on Instagram. And then my in-laws surprised us uh, just after Christmas with a mystery trip that involved three hours with a master falconer. And I posted some of those pictures as well. Um, so the, we get driven out to this park um, near Orlando, sort of outside. It's a beautiful, natural um, park. And we meet this guy, Terry. And Terry is an incredible educator. He has a wicked sense of humour and a lifetime of experience that he is generously sharing with the public to educate them about wild birds of prey and the hobby of falconry. So he's been involved in falconry for about 20 years, maybe a bit more. And he absolutely knows his stuff. What he said was sort of a, a brief overview of the history of falconry was so much information. It was really fascinating. I knew a little bit, but obviously I, I quickly realised that what I thought I knew about falconry was just a drop in the bucket. And um, this whole sport is, is just absolutely incredible. So part of what he does as a falconer is um, he actually mentors people who are looking into getting into falconry. And he's clearly very, very passionate about um, helping those individuals who are interested in the hobby, interested in the sport and are there for all the right reasons. And by that, I mean, and this is something that he stressed, if you just want a really cool pet, falconry isn't for you. You're not really taming these birds. They're not a pet that you bring in that in the house to pet and cuddle and love on that's not what you should be doing if you're a falconer uh, there's so much more to it and um there's things like you know you need to have permits involved you need to go through proper training with an approved permitted falconer you need to understand uh, how to care for the birds how to set up their um enclosures you know what to feed them how to get them to fly for you all this kind of stuff and I always knew that there was quite a lot to the hobby but there's just so much more than I expected so while we were there we got to meet a number of his birds um, all different species and we were taught how to safely hold them on the glove and at the end he actually showed us how to fly a Harris hawk called Django which was probably my favourite part of the entire experience and I'm not sure I'll ever forget it honestly it was absolutely incredible. Um, I've always been interested in birds of prey and um, there's actually a rehabilitation centre in Medina uh, called the Medina Raptor Centre and um, they are a um, permitted uh, licensed wildlife rehabilitation group that deals with primarily birds of prey, but all different kinds of birds. So if you find an injured bird or you find orphaned chicks, you can take them to the Medina Raptor Center and they will take care of them and whenever they can, they re-release. And I've actually wanted to volunteer with them for years and I just haven't been able to find the time because they're almost an hour away and you know I have a lot of other things going on. But this visit or this experience of getting to be around like these hawks and kestrels just made me realize that I I should definitely contact that center again and see if I can't get involved so Terry has this business where he does outreaches and he does educational events and obviously private events so if you live near Orlando follow the link to my website in this um episode description and check out his facebook that has all of his contact information on it and a little bit more information about what he does and for anyone else who might be interested in falconry um, or raptor rescue i would definitely recommend googling uh falconry or raptor rescue in your local area because you might be surprised to find that you have a local chapter so while we were away in Florida, we actually missed the nice weather here in Ohio. Apparently, according to all my friends and the pictures they sent me, there was, you know, a day where it was like 55 degrees and sunny with almost no wind and then almost 60 degrees and sunny and people were taking their dogs out multiple times a day and um, just going outside and hiking and just enjoying this this break in the weather. And I was so annoyed because obviously my bees would have been awake then. They would have broken their cluster to do their uh, cleansing flights, a little bit of housekeeping. And I wasn't there. And um, I basically, I did have people coming to the house. I'm very fortunate that I have friends who will come check on my reptiles and my chickens. But I always tell them just to leave the hives alone, particularly over winter when um, there's there's nothing really to do there. But, you know, this is how it is. So I had a nice time in Florida. came back, it started raining, and then it snowed, and it got really cold again. Um, I had seen my bees just before we left. Um, I think it was like the 22nd of December. Uh, we had a mild day. I was able to peek in on the candy boards, add a little bit more fondant. Everyone was still going strong. And um, as of last week, we again had a mild day. I was able to poke my head in. And all three hives, uh, well, all three colonies are still alive, um, even my weak colony. And they have not used up their fondant. And in terms of my really big hive, um, they haven't even touched their fondant yet. They're still low in the box, slowly eating their way through honey. So that's excellent. Uh, We have had very cold weather this past week and the weekend. And I'm a little worried about them, but this is it. This is winter, right? You think... You start to get optimistic that, oh gosh, we've got all these weeks behind us. We're almost at spring. Well, we're not. We're still, <laughs> we're still in winter. We're still going through, and this is just how it is. And I just have to hope that um, that all my bees are strong enough to make it through. And I know anyone listening who is also a beekeeper is feeling the same things that I'm feeling. <laughs> um, as for my chickens, getting those um, heated buckets and therefore getting the electricity out there has been amazing I really wasn't worried about them while I was away it made my friend who came to watch them it made her life so much easier because she wasn't you know lugging constant fresh water out there and it's made my life easier since I got back I'm actually now in the habit of um, not going out until like 2 or 3 p.m because I've got some late egg layers uh, now that they've started again and uh, this way you know they have they have their crumble they have their pellets out there they always have fresh water I swing by kind of mid-afternoon put some treats out for them collect the eggs do some cleanup just check in with them see how everyone's doing and then that's it so this is very different to what my previous winters were where I was out you know two to four times a day with fresh water and paranoia and worrying about all of them and I'm also lucky that I have friends who will take my three dogs because you know, asking someone to pet sit three dogs. That's quite a lot. And of course I missed them terribly. And um, it was, I was so happy. We, we flew in and we just dropped all our bags off. We turned right around and we went to pick up our babies. And when they saw us, they went crazy and were running around. And Luna started her crazy, like, row, 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 noises that she does. And uh, I was so delighted to see them. And when I got home, you know, I had, my whippets just piled on top of me and I was just snuggling them and I was absolutely delighted. So it was lovely having a break. I hope we can do it again. Uh, It was so nice to visit my in-laws in Florida. But now I'm back and I am cleared to swim. My um, excision site has healed. I now have what I'm calling my little franken scar down on my tummy and I'm... (laughs) it's um it's so much bigger than you what would you expect for like this tiny mole but that's just how it is it's like two inches long and you can see where the stitches are and that's why I'm calling it my Frankenstein scar but um it doesn't bother me at all actually I I thought it would but no not at all and I'm back to swimming and I am trying to stay awake instead of hibernating through this winter and uh, I'm just chugging along I'm doing the best I can so today I'm going to talk about quail finally and I know I've been promising it on and off for you know a little while. Um, Excuse me a second I've got a very hot mug of coffee because I'm always cold right now. I'm just going to refresh myself briefly. All right so quail. I thought that I had a couple of different books about quail and I was wrong. There's actually not a huge amount of books on the market which discuss keeping quail either as a meat bird or as a pet and of the books that are available a number of them have pretty poor reviews and are relatively expensive for what they are like they're quite small books but they are up there in price. So for this episode I ended up relying on predominantly on internet sources from people who keep quail themselves and have blogs on it or have provided care sheets or I also went on some um, forums that have sections for quail keeping and I read you know discussions and problem solving and all that kind of stuff and as always if you go to my website you will find source links to uh, the main articles and websites that I used I also used a book the one book that I actually have in my collection which is called Urban Quail Keeping by Karen J. Pudifat and she also has a website which is urbanquailkeeping.com but the website is more of a advertisement for her book so I would recommend picking up the book. It is moderately priced, it has wonderful photographs and it has a good amount of information. It's not too extensive, it's sort of kind of what you need to know to get started and a little bit of extra. So I do recommend checking that out if you can. So before we get started, um, I'll Just as a reminder as always I'm not an expert on really anything so this is just what I've been reading, this is what I've got through the research that I've done and um, I haven't kept quail personally either. It's something that I'm interested in doing but I have not yet done so please bear that in mind if there are any mistakes in this article those mistakes are all my own. Um, I have no one to blame but myself. What I'd like to cover is uh just sort of an overview the basics you know what kind of quail are available to us in the us and to some extent in the uk what are the housing requirements diet do they have any particular health issues how do you breed them Um, are they easy to uh, sex how do you get started Now, fun fact, a group of quail is called a covey. And you'll see that term come up quite a lot if you're doing any research. And (laughs) I have somehow managed to avoid using it during most of this um, episode. But yes, a group of quail is called a covey. So there's a flock of chickens and a covey of quail. So I'm going to get started with available quail species. And this is mainly geared to those of us in the U.S., But I did notice that uh, some of this is also applicable in the UK. So one of the species, well actually two of the species that I'm going to discuss today are um, relatively popular and predominant in the UK as well. So the first species that you will see if you Google what's out there for you to purchase is the bobwhite quail, which is also known as the northern bobwhite and the Virginia quail. It is a member of the New World Quail Group. And it's a ground-dwelling bird native to Canada, USA, Mexico, and the Caribbean. And it received its name due to its unique vocalisation, which is supposed to sound like Bob White or Bob Bob White. And um, on my website, I have actually linked to a really really good youtube video that captures a uh, couple of minutes of bob white quail vocalizing in the wild and i always find that usually when someone says oh this bird the call sounds just like this i'm just like really does it but uh you can listen for yourselves so bob white quail are moderately sized for a quail with a wingspan between 9 to 15 inches, and they tend to weigh between 4 to 6 ounces as adults. The species is sexually dimorphic, with the males having a white throat and a brow stripe bordered by black, whereas the females have a buff or tan-coloured throat and a brow without the black border. So the males are a little bit more striking in their coloration than the females'. The average lifespan in the wild for a bobwhite quail is actually a rather dismal six months. But under ideal conditions and hopefully what we would provide in captivity, bobwhites can live about five years, sometimes more. Their diet consists of a variety of weeds, seeds, grasses and insects in captivity bob whites do well on a game bird feed usually a crumble because they're small birds small seed mix fresh greens and a variety of insects which can be dry or live supplemented with calcium which a lot like what we do with our chickens and just as with our chickens calcium is especially important for the females as they are laying bob white quail do best in mated pairs during the primary breeding seasons throughout spring and summer. But in the cooler months, larger groups with a mix of male and females can be kept as a lot of the territorial behaviour will subside during this time period. So this means that if you intend to keep many pairs in a large aviary, you'll need to separate the mated pairs for about half the year to avoid fighting and injury and even death. Uh, males during mating period can and will fight to the death. There are some articles I read that stated you can keep in breeding trios, one male to two hens, but there are other articles that said we don't recommend this and you will get a better yield of fertile eggs if you just do one male, one female. So I'm not really sure you can experiment with that. The bobwhite matures a bit more slowly than many other quail species. They reach sexual maturity at six months and they will breed readily, with the hens laying an egg a day. Bobwhites are sometimes kept as meat birds and um, in part because they are, you know, a, a moderately sized quail. So they do offer a certain amount of meat compared to smaller breeds. But they're more popular as pets and egg producers, it seems like. And this might be in part due to how it takes them longer to reach slaughtering weight. So it seems like the bobwhite would be a good quail for you if you're looking for a species that can be kept in pairs, used for egg production and is also an interesting pet. If you live in the US and you've ever hunted quail or read about the subject... The bobwhite, or one of its 21 subspecies, is likely the quail being hunted. Since 1966, wild populations have been declining in the US, and there are some groups that are working on breeding and releasing birds in an attempt to boost these wild populations. The bobwhite quail is listed as a near-threatened species by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, habitat loss and habitat degradation appear to be the primary cause of population decline. Now, since the bobwhite quail is both a native bird to the US and on the decline, many states require that anyone who wants to keep them or breed them needs a permit to do so. So if you are interested in the bobwhite quail, please check with your local fish and wildlife representative to find out what you need to do to legally keep them. From what I've been able to ascertain, permits are relatively inexpensive and average about $25 to $40 per year. The next quail that I want to talk about is the king quail. And this is also known as the blue-breasted quail, the Asian blue quail, Chinese painted quail and chung chi. Now sometimes the king quail, rather confusingly, is referred to as a button because of its size it's quite small and the reason this is confusing is there is actually a species called the button quail all one word or hemipodes which is not even a member of the same genus and is actually one of a few species of ground-dwelling birds in the family Tennessee so not related to the king quail at all now something that confused me a little bit about this is I saw two different Latin names for the king quail. I more regularly saw Coturnix chinensis but I also saw Excalfactoria chinensis and I'm not really sure what that's about honestly. And as part for the course I forgot to ask my biologist husband so Anyway, the reason I'm mentioning it is you might see it referred to as both, but generally it seems like most people refer to it as the Cotonax genensis. Now, this is a species of old world quail, but it's still in the same family as the bobwhite, which is the, basically the family that covers pheasants and stuff. Now, the native population spread across southeastern Asia to Australia melanesia micronesia and polynesia so it's pretty widespread and in kind of varying climates and the king quail is the smallest of what's called the true quail species weighing about 1.4 ounces as an adult which is absolutely tiny so the appearance of these birds is actually quite attractive the males tend to be brighter and can range in colour from brown, blue, silver, maroon, and almost black. The females are similar in appearance, but they're less showy, as we see with a lot of different birds, and they don't possess the blue feathers. Uh, Both sexes have bright orange to yellow feet. Now, the lifespan of this bird is actually quite impressive, up to 13 years in captivity, although the average is listed as three to six. In the wild, they rarely live past one and a half years. Now, the king quail is quite popular in the pet trade due to its attractive plumage, its small size and the ease of keeping. They can be kept in breeding pairs or in larger groups, although enclosure size must increase to accommodate. And it's recommended to keep groups in flight cages or aviaries so the birds can get away from each other you basically just don't want to risk any kind of overcrowding uh, situation because quail species as a whole are relatively sensitive to confined spaces and overcrowding and they will fight quite aggressively with each other. Now unlike a lot of species of quail, it is not recommended to keep king quail on wire floors because they have especially delicate little feet and toes. And you're most likely to find them kept in pairs within the U.S. inside the home because they're very sensitive to the cold and they can also overheat in the summer. So of the quail that I'm discussing today, I kind of categorize the king quail as an inside pet. They need a warm environment in order to thrive. And if you actually Google king quail enclosures, you can actually find people who are keeping them in in, um, aquarium tanks, like 20 to 40-gallon aquarium tanks that they've put soil in and places for the, the quail to nest and hide. And that's actually a good size for a male and female pair. Now, I read varying accounts about whether you can hand tame king quail. The general rule is that if you start hand feeding high value treats like mealworms and grubs from a very young age most quail will start to become a little bit more comfortable with your presence and they might start to tolerate you know stepping up onto your hand or eating readily from your hand but they're probably never going to enjoy being picked up. This is true for all quail but for the king quail because they're so small you really don't want to consider any sort of regular handling of them because you could potentially injure them but really if you're looking for a very beautiful relatively long-lived quail that can be kept inside your house the king quail is the bird for you. So this third species or breed that I want to discuss today is the cotonix quail and this is by far the most common quail found in the US pet and meat trade. Now, Cotonyx is actually the Latin name for the genus, which consists of six current species and two extinct species. The extinct species include the Canary Island quail and the New Zealand quail. Current species are the rain or black-breasted quail, the harlequin quail, the common or European quail, the Japanese quail, the stubble quail, and the brown quail, which is also known as the swamp quail, the silver quail, and the Tasmanian quail. Now, all of the above range from Asia, Africa, Europe, Australia, and beyond. Um, So, they're pretty widespread, and they're all members of the, um, the pheasant grouping family. So, of these different Cotinix quail species, the Japanese quail is the most readily available for purchase in the U.S., and it's massively popular as both a pet, an egg layer, and a meat bird. So it's actually so popular that you might see Japanese quail being referred to simply as Cotinix quail, which can be a little confusing if you're aware that there's, there's multiple different Cotinix quails. So um, according to Wikipedia... The Japanese quail has played an active role in the lives of humanity since the 12th century and continues to play major roles in industry and scientific research, which is news to me. Now, there's a few breeds of Japanese quail that you're likely to come across in your reading, and these include the Texas A&M quail, the English white, the Italian, the Spanish, the jumbo Japanese, British range, tuxedo and the fawn. Now, various breeds will vary in appearance, but the common Japanese quail is tawny brown with speckled plumage. They're sexually dimorphic, with the males being smaller than the females. Their weights vary between four to six ounces on average, with jumbo Japanese quails apparently being able to reach a whopping one pound, although they're usually 13 to 14 ounces. Now most of the information I found on quail care is in reference to the coturnix quails and particularly the japanese coturnix quails. So please bear that in mind as I go ahead and discuss things like egg production and quail characteristics and housing requirements. Now a lot of this does apply to bob whites and king quail. But I would recommend looking for a very specific care guide for either of those species if that's what you're leaning towards keeping. And there is a fair amount of information out there. Um, There seems to be a number of different forums that um, could be a good resource for you. So what I'm about to discuss, most of this information came from the book I referenced earlier, um, Urban Quail Keeping by Karen J. Pudifat. And she opens her book with a really lovely quote that I'd like to share. And that is, in reference to quail, these delightful birds have a delicate, subtle beauty and curious character, end quote, which I thought was really lovely. So keeping that in mind, let's discuss some aspects of quails. So firstly, I'm gonna talk about their egg production. Now part of why they're so popular is their prolific egg layers. And they have an advantage of taking up a lot less space than chickens. The hens will lay one egg per day. They start laying at 35 to 45 days old, days old, which is very different to the 18 to 22 weeks old that we see with chickens. So this means that you get approximately 200 to 300 eggs per year from your quail hen. Now, unlike chickens who tend to be morning layers, quail tend to lay in the afternoon or the evening. And yes, they also have their own little egg song. Now, most eggs that they'll lay will be between the ages of, oh, sorry, up to the age of nine to 12 months. So they're most fecund during their first year. And then you'll start to see a gradual decline in egg production. But I'll be honest, this is the official statement on the matter. It seems like your mileage might vary and it depends on the breed because I definitely came across posts from people with hens that were still laying very very well into their like third plus year. Now in terms of comparison to a chicken egg, you would need approximately five quail eggs to equal one medium-sized chicken egg. And this basically means that 13 quail will lay the equivalent of a dozen chicken eggs per week. And when you look at the math like that, you're basically saying 13 quail to, let's say, 12 chickens then. But the advantage of those 13 quail is that they're taking up a very, very small amount of space in comparison to those dozen chickens, which need a good amount of room apparently the taste of a quail egg is similar to that of a chicken egg and I say apparently because I've actually never had the pleasure of trying quail but that is definitely something that I want to do. In recipes if you need to convert from a regular chicken egg to a quail egg it's best to match weight to weight so basically find out how much a large or medium chicken egg would weigh and then match that to um, quail eggs. The egg shells tend to be cream with brown speckles and the inner shell is a pale blue but when I was reading around and looking at Instagram accounts I noticed that some breeds of quail are specifically bred to have coloured eggs now just like we see with Easter egger chickens. The author of Urban Quail Keeping recommends using ice cube trays to collect and store quail eggs she's found those to be the perfect size and just as with chickens any oddly size so especially large or very very small or deformed eggs from your quail can indicate a health issue or they could be a sign of a normal process within a young layer or a very old layer. So always be mindful and keep good records of your bird's ages and um, progress through life and just be mindful that of um any issues that might arise with egg laying. Quail eggs can be cracked in the same way that you would a chicken egg, such as lightly tapping against a hard surface, using a knife to tap the middle of the egg, or you can buy special quail scissors, which very neatly nip off the very, very top of the quail egg. So now that we've discussed a little bit about delicious eggs, let's talk about quail characteristics. What are these birds like? Uh, How are they to keep? So generally speaking, quail are shy and retiring and they're known for being quite flighty and nervous, but they're also curious and charming. So if you find yourself one of those people who love watching your, let's say you have chickens right now like me, and you love watching when they're digging around and they're looking into things. Quail are very similar. You know, they're interested in the world around them. They're busy and they can be enjoyable to watch. Now something to keep in mind with quail and you'll see this reference time and time again is that they startle easily and when they startle they fly upwards with a very fast burst of speed. And they're also known to be escape artists so these are two aspects that you need to consider carefully when you're planning enclosures for them. Quail can be hand tamed but you shouldn't expect it. And it does require consistent time and effort from a very young age to maintain that level of taming. If you're looking for a pet that you can cuddle, you will not find it with a quail. In terms of how you go about handling a quail, you would gently place your hand over their back with your index and middle finger around either side of their neck. Then use your other hand to carefully scoop them up from below. Now, quail, like I said, they're flighty, they're nervous, they're going to struggle. So just maintain that gentle hold, but be careful not to squeeze because they're much more delicate than chickens. And one thing I read is that if they're really, really panicking and really freaking out, you can very carefully turn them gently onto their back while you're holding them, which makes them disoriented. And that might give you the time to do whatever it is you need to do, like inspect them or put them into a carry case. But be mindful that you don't want to keep them upside down or on their back for too long because um, it could potentially be harmful and it's upsetting for the bird. You never want to grab your quail by the legs as they are quite delicate and you uh, risk breaking them. You also want to be careful around their ribs and their chests and you might want to honestly practice scooping your quail up from a young age because they are going to wiggle, they are going to struggle. In my experience, chickens, when you pick them up, reach this point where they just sort of give up and they're like, oh God, this is it. Death is imminent. I shall just flop over and allow this strange creature to do what they want. And uh, a perfect example of this is actually one of my favorite stories. So Agatha, my special needs hen, Um, when it was warm, do you remember those days when the sun would shine and it was warm outside and you could wear t-shirts? Yes, those wonderful days. I decided to give her a, um, not even a real bath, just washing her vent area because of the fact that I know I've mentioned before, she gets lice uh, because she can't groom back there and she can't pick them off. And so I treat with diatomaceous earth. And then in the warmer months, sometimes I'll bathe them with a very, very mild soap. And it kills them and it kills their eggs. And it's, it's just handy. So I had her in about two or three inches of warm water. So she's not floating. She can stand on her own feet. And I start washing her vent area. And she's fighting me the whole time. So it barely took 20 seconds. Pick her up, put her on the ground. I'm trying to dry her. So I have a towel underneath her and I'm gently rubbing her her vent and underneath her tummy and wherever she got splashed. And she's been fighting and she's been making noises. And then all of a sudden she just flopped over on her side, totally limp with her mouth open. And I thought, bloody hell, she just had a heart attack and died. I've killed Agatha. And I thought, oh God. And so I, you know, gently grabbed this chicken that I've been, you know, nursing and medicating and I'm just like, oh no, she's dead. She's dead. And I'm scooping her up. And she was absolutely fine. She had just reached her limit and had just flopped over dramatically as if to say, okay, I give up. Well, take me death. Take me. I'm ready to go. So once I realized what was happening, I had a good laugh about it. And I've noticed that she will do this now. So if I'm doing anything with her that she doesn't like, she'll fight for a little bit and then she'll just completely give up and just pray for death and although she's a little dramatic with it this is generally my experience with chickens is that they'll fight then they'll give up for a bit they might start fighting again but during that period where they go limp you can get whatever it is you need done quail aren't like this quail will only start stop fighting when they're exhausted and you want to be mindful of not wearing the poor little things out so practicing gently holding the birds when they're struggling is good for you and it might even be good for the bird to get used to you scooping them up. So that's just something to keep in mind and as always you want to remain calm, you want to be soft-spoken and you can even avoid eye contact to help keep them calm. One of the benefits of quail is is that they are much quieter than chickens and um, the males do crow but it's not anywhere near as loud or long or disruptive as with a rooster and so this makes them quite suitable for people with close neighbours or you know small amounts of land so you're not as far away from people. Now in terms of feeding there is commercial feed available for quail Um, it's usually game bird feed but just double check the calcium and the protein contents of that don't feed them chicken feed this is not suitable for them and it will be very bad for them and potentially shorten their lifespan now the recommended protein in their food for egg laying quail between the ages of uh hatching to six weeks is 24 percent protein dropping down to 20 20 percent after six weeks of age for quail you're raising for the table you want protein to be 24 percent until six weeks and then you drop it to 18 percent now a quail's diet should primarily consist of grains and seeds which is what should be in your game bird feed But you can also offer healthy snacks like greens, dandelion leaves and live or dried insects, which are recommended um, even if you don't want to use them to try and hand feed. They provide, you know, additional protein and they provide enrichment. You do need grit for your quail. Their digestive system works much the same way as with a chicken where they the food first goes into a gizzard where your grit where the grit is it helps grind things up before it moves further along the digestive tract but grit that you would buy for an adult chicken is way too big for your quail so you're going to look for grit that is sized for chicks it's also recommended that you offer dried cuttle bone, which you can find at most pet stores. It's usually in the bird section or sometimes in the reptile section because it's good for tortoises. And it's this is offered to quail because it keeps their beaks trimmed and gives them an additional source of calcium. And this is actually why you offer it to tortoises and turtles as well. It they will chew on it and it helps trim their beaks, which is the same terminology that we use for tortoises as with birds interestingly enough so let's say that you have decided that quail sound fun and you want to give them a go so what are your options how do you get quail so your primary options much like with chickens are purchasing fertile eggs or getting chicks Now for the eggs you're going to need a good incubator and some patience. Now a fully automated incubator will maintain correct temperature and humidity and it's also going to turn the eggs for you and this shouldn't be overlooked because eggs need to be turned three to five times a day for 14 days. That's quite a lot of your time popping in the incubator to turn eggs and when you turn the eggs by hand you should also wear gloves because you don't want to transmit any bacteria from your skin to the quite delicate eggs so really if you want to do eggs i strongly recommend a fully automated incubator now let's say you go this route and you have the eggs shipped to your door so the first thing you should do is open them up check them for signs of damage I should clarify what I just said. The first thing you should do is open the container that the eggs are in and check them for signs of damage. Don't crack open the eggs. (laughs) So let's say you open the container, you're looking at the eggs. If there's any signs of um, like cracking or um, pitting or if any have weird... Things on them, anything that looks wrong, just throw them away. Um, you're, it's very, very rare to ever have a hundred percent hatch rate, and you don't want to make things worse. Just throw away damaged eggs. Then you're going to let the remaining eggs rest for about twenty-four hours at room temperature. And while you're letting them rest, it's recommended that you run your incubator at your the settings needed, so you can see if it's actually working properly. You can double check it with another thermometer. Um, or um, a way of checking humidity just to make sure everything is doing what you want it to do inside that incubator. Now in terms of what temperature you want to set it as it should be set to 37.5 degrees celsius which is 99.5 degrees fahrenheit and the humidity will be set to 45%. When you move eggs always move them with the blunt side up and that's how you're going to place them in the incubator. Now the reason we do this is it's the blunt side of the quail egg that has the air sac and this allows the chicken to breathe and if you turn it incorrectly um, the chicken can actually drown inside the egg or I'm sorry not the chicken the quail chick. I'm just so used to talking about chickens I do apologize. So let's say you've moved all your eggs in you've set the temperature you've got the humidity set You're then going to set incubation for a period of 18 days. Now, it's usually around day 15 that your little quail babies will start to emerge. And when you see them pipping, increase the humidity inside the incubator to 75%. This is very important. And then reduce the heat to 37 degrees Celsius to about 98.6 degrees. So you're dropping the heat by only about half a degree. But this is important. You don't want to remove any of the chicks while others are still pipping because a sudden decrease in the humidity can make it hard or even impossible for chicks to hatch, leading to fatalities. So though it's probably hard to resist, try and wait until the majority of the chicks are completely out of their shells before you open the incubator. Once the chicks have been in the incubator long enough that they're dry and they're fluffy, you can move them over into a brooder. So what kind of brooder do you need for quail? Well, it's very much like chickens, honestly. Um, You want to make sure that you're placing your brooder in a warm and dry area free from draughts. You can make your brooder out of any kind of large container. Um, I've seen metal livestock troughs, uh, extra large plastic storage bins, or people have made um, their own out of wood. So a lot of them look kind of like raised beds or planters or a rectangular box and just as with chickens little quail babies they need a heat source and um, what you do just as with chickens is it will be a warmer heat source when they're very small and as they're growing larger and that they're more able to maintain their body heat you're gradually cooling things down so for the first 24 hours of your little quail's life going to keep your brooder at about 37 degrees celsius which is about 98.6 degrees fahrenheit at week one you set the heat to 35 celsius 95 fahrenheit week two 30 degrees celsius 86 degrees fahrenheit week three 25 degrees celsius 77 degrees fahrenheit week four 20 degrees celsius 68 degrees fahrenheit And then at week five, you're gonna adjust the temperature to whatever your adult enclosure conditions are. So this is whether you have them outside or if it's button quail slash king quail, maybe you have them in another room of your house. And so you're gonna wanna match your brooder temperature to wherever they're gonna be living as adults. And then at week six, you actually get to move them to the adult enclosure. Now, if you don't have a brooder and you're going shopping to make one, here are things that you should keep in mind and these are considered sort of top features of a brooder so you're going to need a heat source a thermometer so you know exactly how warm it is in there you want some kind of vented lid or cover you don't want a solid lid because a they're going to need sunlight and b you don't want to trap too much humidity in there have a blanket on standby just in case you need to cover part of that lid to either increase the heat or increase the humidity Then you want some kind of non-slip matting on the very base of the brooder. And this is going to prevent the chicks from slipping everywhere and potentially hurting themselves. And on the top of the non-slip matting, you can have some kind of bedding material. And it's recommended that when they're very small, um, use paper towels because you can see more clearly how they're defecating and what it looks like, which can be quite crucial because you want to really get ahead of if you see any issues there, like any signs of illness or if they're not pooping enough or they're pooping way too much. And then, you know, if everything's looking good and they're getting bigger and they're eating and defecating well, you can switch over to something like sawdust or flakes. You're going to need some kind of chick-safe waterer. So most, you know, uh, supply stores sell waterers designed specifically for baby birds now Um, so you could just pick up one of those but if you don't have one on hand you can use a shallow bowl that you fill with river stones pebbles or marbles basically anything that if a chick falls into it it has something you can push up against and it doesn't drown because chicks aren't smart and they will drown and then finally, you want to have uh, your quail food, but you're going to need to grind it down. So unless it's a very, very fine, um, fine crumble, you're going to have to grind it up yourself for the chicks to eat. So let's say you've gone through all of this. You. Oh, sorry. One of my dogs is wandering under the desk. I hope that didn't pop up on the recording. And. <laughs> um, Okay, so let's say you've gone through all this, you've you've had your quail babies in the brooder, and you're ready to move them into outside enclosures or permanent enclosures. What are your options there? Like how do you set up a quail tank or a quail enclosure? So as I mentioned before, if we're talking about king quail, that's a little different. You could put them in little aquariums, you can build them something small. It's usually going to be in your house. You can make it as pretty or as simple as you want. For a Cotonux quail quail, or um, Bob whites, you might want to consider keeping them outside. And um, for them, you're really looking at two options. There are hutches and then there's a combined kind of run and aviary or flight flight cage option. So I'm going to start with hutches. I found that when looking at quail, this was predominantly what I saw when people were keeping them. And to be honest, I don't like them. Um, it seems like the hutches are either rabbit hutches that have been modified to let in a bit more sunlight. Um, because quail do need the sunlight and they're actually big lovers of sunshine. So it's, it's good for them. Or they're basically just a big wooden rectangular structure With kind of an open wire front which is on a hinge and that's like how you open the cage and I just I'm not a huge fan of them I think that they have a great benefit if you're keeping pairs and that's probably a more suitable size for them and particularly if you're breeding for meat. I can see the benefit of having hutches particularly stackable hutches because you can keep a lot of quail in a confined space this way and also you're more able to um, let's say you're breeding for meat you know which male is with which female and that allows you to assess you know what they're doing how their offspring are coming about and one benefit I will say about a hutch as well is that because they're relatively compact you can put them in a garage you can put them on your patio or you can keep them inside but like I said I'm not a huge fan just that's a personal feeling about them I'm not I don't really like how they look you might feel differently if you do go with a hutch keep in mind that it's generally agreed upon that the recommended minimum space requirement is one and a half square feet per quail and I did find some websites that recommend really small enclosures where the quail barely have enough room to move around and that's more of a battery like cage situation that some people do for like mass quail farming and as far as I'm concerned that's super cruel and I really don't recommend doing it. Now if you do go with a hutch it's recommended that you have a height of about 12 to 18 inches and this is important because as I mentioned previously when a quail is startled which happens quite a lot it will fly upwards very very fast and what you want to consider is you either want a ceiling that's low enough that the quail doesn't pick up enough momentum to smack into the ceiling with considerable force or you want a ceiling that's so high they're not going to hit the ceiling at all or again, the momentum has dropped, and they just kind of gently bounce against it. So, because hutches, the benefit of a hutch is that it's small. Go for a height of about twelve to eighteen inches. If you're putting your hutch outside, it's recommended you raise it up off the ground. Um, this will help avoid predators, much like you do with a chicken coop. Um, and also, actually, even if you keep it in the house, I'd recommend raising it up because the floor can be a little drafty, and you know you might have. I don't know, small children, toddlers crawling around, a cat or whatever, just raising it up helps keep it a little bit more out of the way and away from drafts. You'll see a lot of recommendations online for wire flooring. And the reason this is recommended, it's, it's an idea you've probably seen when you've been looking into chicken keeping, which is that they're on wire, they poop, the poop falls through onto some kind of tray beneath the wire. You pull the tray out, it makes cleaning easy. Just be mindful of the kind of wire and the size if you do go this route. Quails have quite delicate toes and little feet. And so you want a wire that has been um, coated preferably so it's not sharp. It doesn't have uh, aggressive edges and it's small enough that they can walk comfortably onto the wire floor. Now a downside with the wire flooring is that it doesn't allow quail to engage in natural behaviors like digging and dust bathing. So if you do go with a wire floor, maybe consider putting in a a nice sized uh, tub with some sand in it that will let the quail dust bathe because it's good for their hygiene and it's also a really good form of enrichment for them because they get to indulge in that natural digging and rolling behavior. So the other option, which is my personal favorite, is making some kind of big run or flight cage or aviary for your quail. And I like these because I like animals to be able to indulge in all kinds of natural behaviour. So I want them to have more space so they can fly, they can wander around happily on the ground, they have places to hide in. You know, I want them to be a quail um, as much as possible. So if you're looking to build a run or a flight cage... Uh, Again, be mindful of the ceiling. You don't want the ceiling to be um, low enough that when the quail flies up, and they can fly up about six feet or so, that they're going to break their neck if they hit it too hard. So make sure you have quite a high ceiling for them. Um, I've also seen some people who just don't have the space to build up. They put a soft ceiling on, so they cover the top of the enclosure with something like a bird netting that's flexible so the birds fly up they almost kind of bounce off the ceiling um, and therefore don't hurt themselves because I'm not exaggerating when I say that quail have broken their necks hitting ceilings this is apparently a relatively common problem so be mindful of this when building. If you're building outside or you're hoping to house your quail outside you want to avoid damp conditions so consider where you're going to put them on your property Having something up against the back of the enclosure can be good because it acts as a windbreak because quail are also quite sensitive to the wind and will be unwilling to come outside um, if it's windy in any way. You also want to provide a cover because again quail are quite small and they're not hardy like a lot of our chickens are so if it rains a lot your quail can become too wet and get quite ill. So consider putting a cover up And I actually read it recommended that you use a cover that lets sunlight shine through. And one thing I saw that I thought was a pretty good tip was to get a shower curtain, the kind that's sort of semi-opaque. And that way, you know, the sun can come through, but you're keeping them out of the rain. Now, when thinking about if you want to keep quail outside or not, Something to consider is that the ideal temperature for most quail, so a lot of the Coturnix breeds, like the Japanese Coturnix that I've mentioned in the Bob White and things like that, the ideal temperature is between 16 degrees Celsius, which is about 61 degrees Fahrenheit, to 23 degrees Celsius, or 73 degrees Fahrenheit, with between a 30 to 80% humidity. Now, that's not a very big range, and most of us don't live in places that have that temperature for a huge part of the year. So let's think about how we can mitigate this. If you want to keep them outside year round and you don't have those kind of temperatures, something you can do is you can provide um, enough room to keep a large covey of quail. So the book Urban Quail Keeping actually recommends about 20 quail because this is enough birds that they can huddle together for warmth and generate enough of their own body heat if you also give them suitable places to nest to get through cooler weather but again that could be quite a large enclosure because you want enough space that none of these quails are going to be fighting so, if you don't want to go the huge enclosure with a large covey of quail, you might want to do a heat source. Uh, just provide that for them instead. So, you could put a heat lamp in there, or one of those panel heaters that I mentioned in my preparing chicken for winter um, episode. And my personal preference would probably be the panel heater because remember that heat lamps can be a fire hazard, and accidents happen, and I would be particularly nervous about the fact that quail startle up like that of them knocking any kind of lamps over. So look into panel heaters and see what you think about them. You can also place the enclosure so that it faces east which is going to maximize the amount of sun it receives. This is a lot like what we do with our beehives and as I mentioned earlier quail actually really love the sunshine and it's Uh, the amount of light they receive and how much light is actually quite important in stimulating natural behaviour in quail, such as um, the male's reproductive behaviour. Now, sunshine, as I said, affects them. And it's much like with chickens. In the winter, when the days get shorter, uh, quail will decrease and eventually stop their egg production. It's usually around three months of the year, but you can put lights out there to increase the production or prevent it from decreasing just as you would with chickens and again I've had another whippet visitor so if you heard a weird noise just then that was one of my dogs and I apologize Uh, and just as with chickens you don't need any kind of fancy lights you can use Christmas tree lights and it's just enough to keep them going and as with chickens always make sure that you have them coming on earlier in the morning not after dark at night time you want it to come on earlier in the morning it, it's more of a natural behavior for them um, in terms of substrate what can you use well you can use wood shavings sand soil I've seen some people keeping on very smooth gravel or pebbles um, I don't know much about that latter one but I have seen it and you want to provide a lot of hiding places because quail are ground nesters. So you want some places that are suitable for them to nest and lay their eggs. And they might not always go to the same nest site, which is something to keep in mind, but you also want them to feel safe. And they love to have lots of different places they can tuck themselves away into and feel like they are avoiding the gaze of predators. So you can add plants, shrubs, you can do lots of different branches and even put roosts in there at different levels. Because although they will um, nest on the ground and they don't roost up like chickens when it's bedtime, they do like to perch during the day and it does provide enrichment for them if they want to fly up and perch higher, see from a different angle, it's just beneficial for them. So that's something that you might want to do and you could get really creative with it and make a really beautiful flight cage or enclosure for your quail to enjoy. Now, another aspect that I wanted to discuss is health. So are quail likely to get sick? Do they suffer from common ailments? Are they particularly prone to anything? And from what I read, quail are kind of similar to chickens. You know, there are problems that can occur um, and there's a certain amount of things that we can do to help prevent them. So some things are unavoidable. And so the first thing I'm going to mention is prolapsed vents. This is something that you can see in any kind of egg layer and any egg layer that's prolific, like a quail or a chicken, that increases the chance that they might suffer a prolapse. Now, just as with a chicken, you can try to repair a prolapse vent at home, you know, very, very gently, making sure the area is moist, using some Vaseline or um, some people have recommended using, um, oh, what's it called? Preparation H, I think? It's um, like a medicated cream. I would double check that with a vet though before I used it. Um, and you can gently push the prolapse back in, gently hold it there, see if once it's back in, it stays in. Um, but sometimes prolapses could be quite severe and you might need to see a vet. Now, of course, if this is a bird that is you know, a meat bird or is mainly part of a farming operation and you don't have the funds to be putting into a lot of vet care for this particular single bird, then you might want to consider culling because a bird that suffers a prolapsed vent is more likely to experience it again in the future and it can become quite a problem. And if left, it is fatal for the poor hen so you do need to treat it as soon as you notice the problem and of course separate that hen from the rest of the covey because you do not want the other quail to be pecking at its poor little rump. Now something that seems to be unique to quail or at least I've never heard of it with chickens is called toe balling and this is caused when a hardened ball of various materials such as substrate or Uh, and feces becomes encrusted on the toes and the feet of your quail which makes walking very difficult for them and very painful thankfully there's an easy solution which is just to soak the feet in tepid water with a mild soap or epsom salt until you can gently remove all of the debris quail much like chickens can also suffer from bumblefoot This is an abscess caused by any kind of small wound on the foot and the treatment is very similar as it is in chickens, which is basically you want to get rid of the debris that has built and get rid of the abscess and then clean out the area and treat it so it can heal. Um... It did seem from the little I read about this that wrapping is not recommended because the quail has such a tiny foot compared to a chicken. You also might need antibiotics. So having a good avian vet on standby is definitely recommended. Quail can also suffer with mites and lice, much like our precious chicky chicks. And you can treat these with diatomaceous earth or chemical spray treatments, but always carefully check the dosage, particularly in terms of body weight. Because remember, your quail are much, much, much smaller than your chickens. Quail can also get worms, uh, various different kinds of intestinal worms, and these are usually picked up from kind of any kind of natural soil or live insects so if you have quail outside they're more likely to get worms and you can treat them with a uh, the, any kind of avian wormer but again be very careful about dosing um, requirements and if in doubt give your vet a call. Quail can also get coccidiosis, much as what we see in chickens. And just as a reminder, this is a microscopic parasite that colonizes the intestines and it spreads through poop. And sadly, it can spread very, very fast and absolutely decimate a flock, both of chickens and of your quail. And one of the downsides with this is that adults can actually be carriers without showing any symptoms. So you might do a quarantine of your adult quail before putting them in to your covey and you think everything's OK. And it turns out they were carriers and now the rest of your covey has coccidiosis. So what you want to do, generally speaking, and this is true, really, is just you want to keep your enclosures as clean as possible you know, remove large amounts of feces. If you have a natural setup, do a good removal of, uh, substrate whenever, you, like maybe once a year, you know, if you can put, um, I, if you're doing it natural, I like to put in like roly polies and things like that. Uh, roly polies, what do they call them? Potato bugs, pill bugs, wood lice and earwig and things like that, that will help eat the poop. And um, you know, make sure you're putting fresh material down. And generally speaking, you just wanna keep everything as clean as possible. Um, In terms of what to look for, uh, you'll see quail being lethargic. They might have ruffled feathers that they never settle. Their head might be sort of bobbing or hanging. You can see bloody or greenish diarrhea. You will see weight loss and there's going to be a lack of appetite. So if you see any of these symptoms, um, you want to immediately do a fecal or go to your vet or treat um, immediately with a antibiotic which you might need to call your vet to get. Something that appears to be relatively unique to quail is ulcerative enteritis which is also known as quail disease and this is a bacterial infection that causes ulcers in the small intestine which prevents the absorption of nutrients and this leads to rapid weight loss and eventually death. It spreads extremely fast in a flock or a covey and it. Is deadly if untreated. You will need antibiotics, so have your vet on standby. And it's the downside seems to be that the symptoms are um, very similar to coccidiosis. Uh, you're looking for kind of signs of greenish, especially water, watery diarrhea, lethargy, lack of appetite, weakened birds, things like that. So this is kind of why I'm saying you might want to do a fecal with your vet because your vet will be able to tell you. If you're looking at parasites or if it is leading towards a bacterial infection. As always, um, you need to practice good biosecurity, which means quarantining new birds and also good hygiene. Like I mentioned before, keep things as clean as you possibly can with birds. I know it's difficult because birds are little birds are little poop machines and they will walk in it and all that kind of stuff. But um, just be mindful and, you know, try and get into a regular habit. Of good maintenance good cleaning Um, quail much like chickens are attracted to the color red so if a bird is injured and has an open wound or a small cut or even just a couple of drops of blood on it you're going to want to remove that bird get it healed up and then carefully reintroduce it or otherwise you risk it getting pecked potentially to death If you find that you have a lot of pecking injuries in your Covey, this could be a sign that your birds are overcrowded, uh, particularly in terms of maybe you have too many males to females. So reassess how much space all of your quail have and potentially consider separating them into pairs. Speaking of pairs, how do you breed quail? Well, when a mummy quail and a daddy quail love each other very, very much. No. Uh, Well, kind of. So basically, the recommended ratio for success in breeding quail is either a pair, trios, or one male to five to six females, which is a fun little quail harem for the boy. In terms of sexing, what I have read, because again, I don't have personal experience, but it sounds like it's relatively easy to do. You have a couple of ways to tell if you have a boy quail or a girl quail. So the first one is you can compare vents of sexually mature uh, birds. So a male quail will have a red and domed vent. And if you actually get the book I recommended, Urban Quail Keeping, she has a very clear picture of a male vent and a female vent. And it's really quite a remarkable difference. You can also compare the behavior of your quail. Males will start to crow, females will lay eggs but also males will chase all the other quail because this is a natural behavior for them when they're ready to mate. You can also compare their plumage. So males in um, males in the Japanese cotonyx which is again mainly what I'm referencing here they develop a reddish brown chest whereas the females have cream chests with brown speckles or spots on them so it's quite a difference and as I mentioned before like for instance king quail they'll have you know very bright colors and that beautiful rich blue that you might find if you google king quail whereas the females are much softer colored they're much more muted and the females aren't blue they do not get blue feathers something you could also look for in terms of sexing your quail is foam balls on the floor of your enclosure. So a sexually mature male quail will produce these bizarre little globules that consist of various proteins and enzyme, not semen as sometimes erroneously stated, and they just sort of plop these things that look a bit like shaving foam around the enclosure when they are ready to mate, and. During mating, the male will place this foam ball into the female's cloaca after he ejaculates. Now, something I thought was interesting is in the book that I've been referencing, Urban Quail Keeping, the author states that people don't know why males do this. But one of the theories is that it might make the female's vent cloaca area more um habitable for the male semen because in most animals the like vaginal tract and area actually isn't um good for sperm it is actually it's usually acidic and is actually eventually will wear down um and break down semen So that was one of the theories. But to me, it kind of sounds like the foam ball increases the chances that it's that quail's sperm that's going to fertilize her. Because if there's a foam ball in place, is it possible that if another male gets to her while that foam ball is there, his semen won't go anywhere? I mean, just a thought, maybe. So I don't know. But if you want, I guess you could look a little bit more into creepy little foam balls left by male quails (laughs) so there you go Uh, so keep an eye out for that if you see those you do have a boy and uh, I did see very little information about letting your quail raise their own babies and some of this seems to be that quail aren't known for being especially broody uh, unlike your certain chicken species like silkies that are quite famous for it and generally speaking, people have more success if they remove the fertile eggs to be incubated themselves with the incubator. Themselves just made me think of people just carrying, I don't know, little quail eggs around in their bra or like sitting on a giant pile of quail eggs for 18 days. But anyway, so you could give it a go. If you have a hen that seems to want to try you know, bringing, uh, incubating her own eggs, maybe, you know, give her a go, let, let her see what happens. Uh, or just bring them in, put them in your incubator and be done with it. Now, before I finish talking about quail today, I do want to talk about them as a meat bird, because they are quite popular for this reason, because they make delicious meals for us. And as always, it's usually males that are the ones who end up on our plate, because if you are raising any kind of birds and the males are fighting, what do you do with all these males that hatch every time? So you're going to want to eat them potentially. And so um, keep in mind that um, quail will reach maturity very quickly. We're talking about six to eight weeks old. You have a mature bird uh something I saw was a saying when they start to crow it's time to go and I think for some people this is true in chickens as well but you have a bit longer with um chickens with quail once they're crowing it's recommended that you cull them now when you're raising a male for male quails for your dinner table you do need to be mindful that you don't keep them too long um they will start to chase each other and fight as they approach sexual maturity and this is going to toughen up their meat and it's also going to make them lose weight which means you're getting less meat off each individual bird. I saw that you can offer a lot of hiding places and um, also put them in more subdued lighting but not darkness just sort of lower lighting and it it seems to um, prevent them from getting especially stimulated and it can help decrease this sort of Um, chasing and fighting behaviour. Now popular meat breeds uh, in particular are the Texas A&M quail and the Jumbo Cotinix quail because they have more heft to them and therefore more meat. When you're selecting birds for the table, you want to look for healthy quail that have no signs of defects and that tend towards the higher weight ranges So the big question really is when exactly do you cull them and from what I've read it seems sort of any time after six weeks is really recommended but you want to be careful that you don't let them get too old because they mature so fast once you get past six to eight weeks the meat will slowly begin to toughen up and I actually saw from a number of places that Once you get to about eight months or some places said six months, um, the meat's basically inedible for people unless you're using it for soup, stock or broth. Um, And so some people, if they leave it too long, they um, give their quail to dogs to use as dog food. You can either cook it or I would recommend giving it raw if your dog is a good chewer. And once you've removed things like the beak and the legs, although actually I wonder, could they eat the legs? Probably, because you can give them chicken legs and those are much bigger. So maybe just give them the whole bird and see what happens. I would, Uh, that would be a great reason. Um, I have considered raising quail for reptile food, but as I've stated before, I don't feed live to any of my reptiles because A, I think it's inhumane and B, because they could have parasites that my reptiles would get. Whereas if you cull their food first and freeze it you kill off a lot of bacteria and parasites and also because live prey can and has historically very seriously harmed various different reptiles including blinding snakes and in some cases even killing them so I've thought about what age would I be culling for my reptiles and I would be culling from quite a young age up to about six weeks because I have snakes of different sizes and the smaller snakes would need smaller prey. So that might be something to keep in mind if you also are looking to feed off two other animals in your care. If you're intending on selling your quail, I don't have any information for you. Um, You need to check with your local authorities to find out how you can legally do so. Um, As always, when you're selling to the public, there's always additional requirements for the safety of everyone involved. So just be sure that you're mindful, you do your research before you start selling at farmers markets or whatever. Now, in terms of culling, It's much like with a chicken, the primary methods are cervical dislocation, aka breaking the neck, um, and just taking the head off completely using sharp scissors or shears. I know I've mentioned before with chickens, when you are breaking the neck, it is a pulling motion. You are holding the head down um, firmly and then you're pulling the body of the bird back to do a sharp, quick break. And with a chicken, if you're too aggressive, you can pop their head off. And this is especially true with quail that are a lot smaller and a lot more delicate. So a lot of people do just chop their head off with scissors. The downside with this for a um, someone like me who might want a quail to feed to a reptile is a quail is easier to swallow if it has its head. So it might take you a little bit to figure out the amount of pressure you need to quickly break the neck without yanking the head off. And as with chickens, the body of your quail is going to jerk and twitch quite a lot in your hands after you've killed them, but they are dead. This is just, you know, nerves firing in the body. It is not a sign that your bird is suffering. If you are going for... Um, The method where you're removing the head, be prepared to drain the blood and there can sometimes be more than you might anticipate, apparently. So have a large bucket or container ready so you can drain all of the blood before you move on to process your bird. You always want to cull your quail out of sight and downwind of any living quail that you have on your property. As I've said before, quail are not domesticated. They are flighty birds. They will respond extremely negatively, apparently, to the smell of blood. So be mindful. You can watch DIY videos of the process of culling or even better, if you know someone locally who keeps and butchers quail, see if you can shadow them and find out what they do to cull and maybe they'll let you cull some of their quail when it's time and that will give you a little bit of confidence to try it yourself. Just as with chickens, if you keep quail as your pets, that they're your babies and you can't bring yourself to kill them when it's time, you can always take them to your vet. If your quail is sick, Or something's wrong with them and you just can't bring yourself to snap that little neck. It's okay. I am a softie as well. I've told you my story of having to take ginger in to be euthanized. It's okay if you need to go to a vet. Don't let anyone make you feel bad because you're taking a tiny, inexpensive bird in for humane euthanasia. You do you and I am here to support you and tell anyone else to leave you alone. So. That's basically it. (laughs) Um, I hope that was useful. And um, just again, I'm not an expert. I do not keep quail yet. Um, So this is just what I've read. It's what I've been reading on forums and websites and my book. And I do recommend, as always, do your own research. Find people who keep quail, particularly if they're local to you, and get them to give you the rundown. Go meet their birds if they're okay with it. I mean, that's a good way of figuring out how you feel about them. Um, I was very gung-ho to get quail particularly when my husband got a carpet python that won't eat rodents so most snakes you can get them on rodents pretty easily and it's a you know it's their primary diet but this little fussy guy wants birds and so we started buying frozen quail to give him And they're expensive. They're a lot more expensive than rats for, you know, what should now be an obvious reason based on all this stuff that you have to do to take care of them. Um, And so I thought, you know, this would be great. I've wanted quail. Um, I knew they were prolific egg layers and therefore prolific breeders. And so I was like, well, what could I do with all the eggs So my first thought was, would any of my friends be interested in quail eggs? And I was pleased to find that a lot of people consider quail eggs to be a delicacy and that apparently they can be particularly good in baking. And I know a number of people who bake. So I was like, okay, well, that's good. And then I thought, well, maybe I would raise some of these quail to varying sizes and ages and I would kill them and then I'd pop them in the freezer for snake food. So I was definitely like, yeah, let's do it. But after doing more research, um, it's not a priority for me. I don't see us saving enough money right now to make it worthwhile in terms of the starter costs of getting set up. And my biggest concern is temperature sensitivity. Um, As I was complaining about at the beginning of this episode, it's very cold right now. And we do get cold winters and we've had much colder winters than this in Ohio. And my property as well is relatively damp. I know I've spoken before about how I don't have very good drainage on the back half of my lot. And we actually have kind of a swamp situation that builds up during heavy rain in the wood at the back. And I've had to be careful with where I've placed my hives and my chicken coops to mitigate this somewhat. Am I concerned with a quail that's sensitive to the cold, and sensitive to the wind, and sensitive to being damp? That this isn't the right property. That said, king quail, which are small and can be kept in the house, might be an option down the road, or um, I might consider doing a indoor outdoor setup. So it did occur to me that. Where I'm sitting right now is in my husband's study and right behind this computer are three ginormous windows that look out onto our garden and our property and from here I can see various bird feeders, I can see onto our back deck, I can see the chicken coops, the shed and if I turn my head I can just see the beehives. It's a beautiful view basically. And it occurred to me that I could set up to cover at least one of the windows a outside flight cage so that when you're in the study you could enjoy seeing the quail out there doing their little quaily things and I could even maybe put finch in there because uh quail are actually relatively popular in the pet trade because they're ground dwelling people have very large flight cages for parrots or you know more perchy birds they drop their food everywhere and the quail are on the ground and they clean it up so they're quite good little helper birds And they cohabitate quite well with other species. So I was thinking maybe I'll put like an outside flight thing here and you can see it from the study and it'll be really pretty. And then in the winter we throw them in, you know, a tank and we put that down in the basement or whatever. um, Or in one of the guest rooms or something. But not a priority for me really, um, particularly because, as I've mentioned before, I'm looking to expand my beehives please if I can get these if all three colonies live through to spring I have a package on the way so that would be four hives and I would probably need to do two splits which would get me to six hives and that's really where I want to be by this time next year and that's going to take up time and then I've got all these other plans for the garden I never got my vegetable beds going I want to get that done I've got to build chicken tractors and maybe a top bar hive and an outside sunning enclosure for the reptiles during the day and I've just I've got enough on my plate I don't need to be (laughs) building flight cages for quails right now but this is a topic that I'd like to revisit I can definitely see the benefit of quail for people who maybe desperately want chickens but can't legally have them don't feel they have the space for them or have very close neighbors and are worried about the chickens being noisy Because even without a rooster, chickens can create a certain amount of noise, particularly if you're me and you have a meat butt who likes to yell at you constantly. Um, So, yeah, this was very interesting. It definitely opened my eyes to a number of different issues and it made me kind of reassess whether quail have a place on the homestead for us right now. And they don't, but maybe in future. So thank you, as always, for listening. Oh my goodness, I've blathered on for quite some time, haven't I? Um, (laughs) This ended up being longer than I expected, so I'll make this quick. Um, Please, as always, you can find me on Instagram at Homestead Hens and Honey. You can find me on Twitter at Homestead Hens and Tumblr at Homestead Hens. Um, I'm also on Facebook at Homestead Hens and Honey. You can email me at homesteadhunsandhoney at gmail.com. Are you noticing a theme? It's basically (laughs) the name of this podcast everywhere on every platform. That's where you can find me. Drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you if you keep quail or you're interested in it or you have any questions about basically anything. uh, Get in touch. I love hearing from you. Um, I will be back in two weeks. I'm going to try and get back on my two week schedule. And I haven't decided on the next episode yet but I'm hoping to find a good bee topic because I miss my bees and I want to talk about them. That's why I made this podcast. I do like homesteading very much and I love my birds and I love my reptiles and my dogs but I am obsessed with my bees (laughs) and I want to talk about them. So stick with me, I'll be back in two weeks hopefully with some kind of bee topic for you and if you're curious about what's going on with me definitely follow along on Instagram it's where I'm the most active Um, and just thank you as always for being patient with me for listening with me listening to me for reaching out for generally just being there I appreciate every single one of you and I hope that you're getting through this winter okay and that 2020 is treating you well and continues to do so so that's it from me as always remember hug your hens and then wash your hands. Take care.